Let me, let, me, uh, let me pray again for us, and then, then we'll get going. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are here, that you, thank you that the words that you uh, wrote through Paul thousands of years, seems like almost 2,000 years ago, are relevant for us today. Um, that we, would you help us to not be, um, to not be snobs looking down on, on the past thinking that this has no, no bearing or understanding of our life today. Spirit of God, would you overwhelm us with your presence? Would you come upon us in surprising ways today? This passage is highlighting so much of the work that you do. So would you do that work? Pray for those of us who came here today as a religious exercise that you would that you would change that and that it would really be that we came here to meet with you. And would you do whatever it is that you want to do with us this morning? We love you. We need you. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So uh, Ephesians, we're going to get to that in just a second. I was asked, uh, I don't know, quasi recently, hey, what's your spirit animal? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm okay with that question, but I said, well, I have a rhino tattoo, so I guess it's a unicorn that let itself go. I don't know what my spirit animal would be. Don't know how to answer that. And the reason why they were asking me was because it's supposed to tell them something about who I am. You're a ferocious cat, or you're a gentle something, or you're a sloth. If someone chooses a sloth, it's like, I don't, I don't know. There's probably not a lot of hope for you. Um, but it's supposed to reveal who you are. While I don't agree with necessarily the, the question, um, Paul is trying to do a similar thing in, in Ephesians 3, verse 14 to Ephesians 4, verse 16, which we're going to look at, because Paul wants for us to experience the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God, as he works inside of the people of God. And so if, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and you're like, I don't know if I believe in any of this stuff, um, that's okay. I'm so glad that you're with us. And, and I want to invite you to imagine that this might be true. And if this were true of your life, what would change? And what would happen if this spirit was the one that was at work in, in your life? So uh, this, this letter to the Ephesians, it's part of the New Testament. The Bible is broken up into two big chunks, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is before Jesus comes. New Testament is life, death, resurrection of Jesus and snippets of the first 90-ish years of church history. And so Ephesians is a letter written to, probably you'd guess it, the Ephesians, the people at Ephesus. And so this passage that we're looking at is actually, uh, part of it is a prayer of, of Paul who helped plant and start this, this church. And this is the second time in his letter that he's praying. I don't know if you've ever gotten a letter from someone who in the midst of telling you like, yeah, on Thursday I did this, and then they just start praying. I never have. That would be very strange and, and awkward. And yet what Paul does is he, he's not awkward about it at all. He has no problem praying in the middle of his letters to people. And the first time he prayed in Ephesians chapter one, he was praying that the, that the followers of Jesus would know God, that they would know him. But now he's praying that they would experience him. And there's a huge difference between knowing and experiencing. Knowing is, yes, I know you, I'm familiar with you, uh, I even might have a relationship with you, but experiencing is, I'm climbing a mountain with you, we're eating too much ice cream together, we're, we're binging Lord of the Rings, that sounds very nerdy, that's not what I do, actually, I don't know why that came to mind, that was for you, someone in the room needed to hear that, all right, 
but experiencing is that we're really doing all of life together. And this is what Paul wants to help the Ephesian church know and us know that you have full access to God. This should astound us every time that you and I have full access to God. And so Paul stops, he's in prison, by the way. Paul stops his his writing. He's dictating to someone as they're writing this for him. He stops moving the, the ball down the field or the puck down the ice or whatever illustration is helpful for you. And he prays for the church from prison. If you're in prison, if I'm in prison, I'm like, please help. I, I'm an American and a Canadian. Whatever help you can, you can send, you know, I'm, I'm in. Please pray for me, both countries, both people, right? I'm, I'm trying to get out. Paul's not trying to get out. Now, would Paul like to be out? I'm, I'm quite certain he would like to be out, but that's not what he's asking for. He's praying for the church from prison. He's thinking about the well-being of the church, not his well-being. In this prayer, one of the commentators said, is done without moderation. There's no moderation in this prayer at all. It's like complete, it almost seems unbelievable. It's so big and broad in its scope. And so I I just ask, what what do we pray for the church? You heard part of the prayer. Uh, You heard all the prayer, right, if you're listening. What do you pray for the church? That leads to, to a different question. Do you pray for the church? Do you pray, right? We're, we're getting smaller and smaller. Do you pray? If, if you don't pray, well, today you, you can start. You have full access to God. Um, and you can also pray for the church. Don't, don't be so um, fickle in your spiritual understanding that you think that it, it can only be you and God where, where you're praying for your needs to be met, but rather you're given the opportunity to have a family and to pray for that family as well. And if you're like, well, I don't know anyone that's part of this church. Well, what a great opportunity to really get engaged with the church so that you know names and faces and what people are actually going through. One of the temptations in being a downtown church is that it's so cyclical. People are in for like, it's like a prison sentence, two to four years, right? You're like in and out. And um, some people love it here. Some people don't love it here. But don't be thinking about what you're going to be doing when you leave. Be fully present here now. Invest wholly now where you are. All right, so let's actually get into this text. Um, in, In chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, I'm reminding you that Paul was in prison. He's getting down on his knees in prison to pray for the church. I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches, I'm going to slow down, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, verse 14 to 16, is that you would be strengthened with power by the Spirit. And not someone else's power, but God's power. The God who dwells in you. Paul's done a lot of work between Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3 to help you and I understand that our new neighborhood, the new place that we reside, is in Christ. We now live in him. Jesus' ministry moved from a come and see, come and explore, come, come and do a taste test to now come move into me, come live in me, come find your, your being completely inside of who I am. You have a new hood in Christ. That's where you live. That's where you belong. Can I, can I just take a time out for a second? Can someone unplug that refrigerator? It's driving me nuts. 
Usually I do it. There are little things that bother me. People eating loud bothers me a lot, right? I have great, um, great earplugs for that. Oh, isn't that so much better? Now we just reverse time. Okay, so new hood where you belong is you live in Christ. My father-in-law um, a few years ago bought a, bought a grill, really nice grill, and he got it home, put it all together, and realized that he bought the wrong grill because he had bought grills that used propane tanks. So the tank runs out of propane, you bring it back to the depaneur, they give you a new propane tank, you hook it up, you're good to go again. He bought the kind that you actually uh, connect to natural gas line. And he realized, I have a natural gas line. And so he went back to the store and bought a hose and hooked up the grill to the natural gas line. And he's like, I can cook food forever. I can blow up my neighborhood forever, right? Like there's just a constant flow of gas to move. And, and some of us live and, and understand Christianity to be more like a propane tank that, oh, all right, I'm going to get my spirituality on and I'm going to live in the spirit now and I'm going to the depth and I'm going to get my gas tank. I'm going to bring it home and I'm going to connect it and I hope that's enough power for me. And the spirit is like, no, 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 you have it all wrong. Like I'm the grill that, that connects to the gas line. I give you full capacity. My strength is limitless and I have it for you. So if you're a follower of Jesus right now, you're in Christ We've looked at this all throughout Ephesians. You were dead, you're now alive. You have the spirit of God alive, active, moving in you. And the power of God is at work in you. Your life is not determined on your education or what degree you have or how much experience you have. The spirit of God is moving in you, which means that anything is possible. And we'll see that in just a, in just a moment. And probably you've prayed before, God, would you please help me? Would you give me some sort of strength, whatever that is? And usually it's for a, a selfish motive, though not necessarily bad. I need help with my exam. How many people I have prayed with over the years in our Sunday gatherings for exams? It's like they come after the service, they're like, Pastor, I have a really big knee. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like expecting something super deep. They're like, I have a test tomorrow. I'm like, all right, let me lay hands on you and, uh, you know, Lord, give them. And I know it's a big deal. Right? I know that it dictates. I'm, I'm downplaying something. Um, but, but the reality is there are also bigger things. And Paul says that, that we pray for our inner being, that the power through his spirit in your inner being, that the strength isn't just that you get A's or you get a job or a bonus or a house or whatever that is, though God cares about that stuff too. The big deal is that your inner being would be transformed by his power. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature or our inner being is being renewed day by day. Now, Paul is not into Plato. Paul is not agreeing with Plato saying, yes, body bad, spirit, soul, all that spiritual stuff, good. We just need to get rid of the, the physical and, and get into the spiritual. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that you're already alive in Christ. You've been made new. You've been brought to life in him. You've been forgiven. You've been adopted. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have an inheritance of immeasurable riches in Christ. Now live that way. Since you already have it all. Now live that way. Bring your inner being in line with the reality of who you are. 
You've been adopted into the king of kings family who lacks no resource. Why do you live like a beggar and an orphan? This is what Paul is getting at in his prayer. You're alive in Christ, so align your inner self with this. I use a hockey analogy in NDG. I preached in NDG before. It fell flat, so I'm not using it again. I, I'm blaming it on them, not me. I think it was really good. But what does a renewed inner being look like? What does a renewed inner being look like? Okay, great. I'm in. I want the renewed inner being that, that Paul's praying for. What does it look like? Let me read to you verse 17 to 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. And this is just like cuckoo language, okay? May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And when I say cuckoo language, I'm not diminishing the language. I'm saying it causes me to worship. Like, I don't even know what to do with all this. I sat in this all week long, and I don't know how to fully explain this. This is wild. Like, we're on very holy ground in this. But here's what a renewed inner being looks like. First, it's that it's more of Christ dwelling in us. That we're in Christ, and Christ is in us. And when our, and our inner beings are being renewed, it's that we look more and more like Jesus. If I could take a picture of you, if you've been following Jesus for a year, 10 years, 20 years, dare I say 30 years, um, if I took a picture of when you first started following Jesus and now, you would look a lot more like Jesus than you did when you first began. We don't always see that, do we? Because we struggle and, and we, we, we know what we're going through today and we see how, how we're battling God almost to, today on certain things. But God takes the long view of things. He's not in a rush with you. He's not in a rush. And the renewed inner being is going to look you looking more and more and more like Jesus. And the renewed inner being is really you and I surrendering. Right? We think about religion not as surrendering necessarily, but as doing a list of, of these things and not doing a list of these things. And if we do the right things and don't do the wrong things, and in the end, some sort of deity is going like to clap for us and give us a gold star and a purple check mark so we all feel good about it, right? And we're all going to be brought in because of our thing, but that's not it. What God is looking for is people who will surrender to him. Like, sur surrender. Give your everything to me and take hold of the love that I'm, I'm loving you with. Paul, Paul prays that they would comprehend it. That word means to take hold of it. I don't know if I would ever want to take the bull by the horns, but I mean, you get the saying, right? That you just, you grab onto everything. You're not letting go. Absolutely not letting go. This is what Paul is saying. That the love of God, the love of God is yours. The love of God is yours this morning. Hold on to it. Every, you're going to meet so many people who tell you that you're unlovable unless you do these things. And if you can do these things, then we'll love you until they don't love you because you did something else and then they cancel you later. God doesn't have a cancel clause in his love. God doesn't have the fine print of, of if I'll love you this much, but if you do these things, I, there's not much I can do at that point. That's just not how he 
roles. In fact, Paul says that you would know the, the height, breadth, length, and depth, and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Oh, you think you're wicked smart, huh? I'm from New England. Wicked. We say wicked all the time. It comes out sometimes, okay? Um, but you think you're wicked smart. You think you're wicked smart. I got a number. How do you like them apples? Okay, good will hunting. All right, there you go. Um, but his, his love is... is immeasurable and it's not because of of what you've done it's not because of your accolades it's not because of what you've accomplished that he loves you and his love is immeasurable and the the greatest google sheet or excel spreadsheet or accounting software in, in the world can't explain the immeasurable love and show the immeasurable love of christ you're connected to the gas line And what the Spirit wants to do is he wants to fill you to capacity with God. Listen to verse 19. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. That you may be filled with capacity to experience the fullness of God. That the trajectory is you went from being empty to being on the precipice of too much. Of having too much. That God himself wants to fill you in such a way that it's hard for us to even comprehend. It's hard for us to even talk about. It gets awkward. We run out of illustrations to talk about the immeasurable love of God. And the Spirit is going to give you more and more of Him. You don't have a spirit animal living in you. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And, And He's ferocious. And He's gentle. And He wants to make you more and more like Jesus. And you just say, oh, this this is so hard to believe. It's so hard to believe. It's so hard to wrap my my mind around. I say, I know. I know it is. Paul knew it was. And Paul says, it's even greater than what you can think. Listen how he ends his prayer. Now to him who is able, (laughs) who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You think you have a neat little trajectory for your life planned out. God says, I'm going to make you like Jesus. You can't make yourself like Jesus, but he is. You say, what what good could I do in, in this city? Well, you have the God who's able to do far and abundantly beyond all that you can ask or think. I don't know what he wants to do. But here's what I, what I do know. In, in chapter 4, verse 1, we ask the question, what's all this for? Okay, I'm going to have my inner being renewed. I'm going to have the strength and power of God. I'm, Dwight's using some weird analogy about being hooked up to a natural gas line. What is all this for? Chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. To walk. Um, when we think about being in Christ, okay, my mind, it's very, uh, uh, it's, it's weird sometimes, but we think about being in Christ, we think about living in a new neighborhood. I, I don't think of my life as a mansion, I think of it more as like an RV food truck, right? An RV food truck where I get to, to live and dwell and I get to drive around my neighborhood like giving away good, good food that people will like. That this is what our life is like in Christ. This is what life is like in the new neighborhood. That we're called to be children of God. 
And Paul is saying, I want you to walk like this is true. I want you to walk this out in real life, that the church is not this little building that we come to once a week. We do some stuff. We, we tolerate, you know, someone talking at us for a long period of time. We sing some songs. We give some money, maybe. We take some, some juice. And we're like, okay, cool. Be back next week to be the church again. That's not it. That's part of it. That's part of it that we corporately worship him together. We're reminded that we're not alone in this. We're able to encourage one another and use, use the gifts, but the church moves. And Paul is primarily gonna focus on this text, the church moving in love for one another. We'll talk about mission later on about people who don't yet know God, but he says that the church is supposed to move with one another. Um, I think it was Tim Keller I blame almost anything good that I say on Tim Keller or C.S. Lewis. Um, one day, maybe I can blame myself. But um, the Spirit's obsession, the Spirit's obsession, Tim Keller said, um, it, if you got to see the Holy Spirit's bedroom, it would be full of Jesus posters. That what the Spirit of God wants to do is he wants to help everyone see who Jesus is. And to see how Jesus is at work through his people. Let me read to you verse 2 and 3 of chapter 4. Paul writes, The calling to which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, I don't know what you wake up in the morning eager to do. Um, I wake up pretty early. Uh, I'm eager to make coffee. And then I sit with the word of God and I'm, I'm pretty much still asleep. And I say, God, I'm here because I want to hear from you more than I want to hear from anyone else. And I, I'm eager to do that every day because I know that his words are going to bring life. Um, I don't always like what he says. I don't always have great connection with him, um, but I'm eager uh, for that. But he wants to change me and he wants to change us to be eager for something as, as well. That it's not just about me getting up and 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 enjoying him on my own. But in verse three, it says, we would be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That we as the church would be eager to live and maintain the unity that Christ has already given to us. Sometimes we talk about unity within the church as like, it's a project that we have to accomplish, but Christ already accomplished it through his death on the cross and his resurrection that he's united us through him. I don't know, like race, tongue, color of skin, none of that is, it's important, but in Christ, we're, we're all one, right? That we're united in Christ. We're united, we're, we're, we're equal, we're, we're brought together because of him, not because of some slick unity campaign that we put on. And so the church, when we come together as a church, we don't come together, fight for my rights. I'm gonna fight until, you know, this small group is this way. Like, okay, it's a lame fight. Um, it, some people within the church over the years, we've been doing this for a few years. Um, we planted uh, 11 years ago. And some people have threatened me that I'm going to, we're gonna leave the church if these things don't change. And I'm like, well, I don't see those on Jesus's categories and I think that you should change, but that's okay. Like if that's what you need to leave the church over, okay. You know, like we're, we're gonna be united in, in him. The church is not about threatening one another. The church is not about disengaging when we don't get our way. If you're part of the church, get used to not getting your way. What did you think you signed up for? 
I like magazine subscriptions. They don't ask a lot of me. Just give them my money and they send me the magazines and I read them. That's not the church. That's not the church. We don't just disengage when things get hard. We lean in and we get more engaged when they get hard because we fight to maintain the unity that's already been procured for us. Unity in and of itself says I'm going to lose me. I'm going to lose me because I already have him. And what he wants is more important than what I want. There are very few things that we as a church need to have in a closed hand. There are very few things in life that I'm going to die for. Paul says some of them in verse 4. There's one body, okay, so there's one church. There's one spirit, we believe that. Just as you were called to the one hope that our confident expectation is Jesus alone, we believe that. One Lord, Caesar's not Lord, Justin Trudeau's not Lord, your McGill prof is not Lord, your, uh, your boss at work is not Lord, your husband or wife is not Lord, your cat is not Lord, none of them. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, in all. I'll die for that. Anything on that list, I'll die for that. Um, color that you paint these walls, I, I don't really want burnt orange or, you know, vomit yellow or like, but if that's what we have to do, okay, right? Not the end of the world. But those are the types of things that seem to cause the greatest chaos inside of churches. Very, very secondary things. Not even things that have to do with the Bible. Not even doctrine. Silly things. I don't like silverish chairs. Okay. Pretend it's black. I don't, I don't know what to tell you, right? But these are the types of things that irritate us. We can talk about so much within the church. We can change so much in the church. How many iterations, I mean, Paul and Gus, you've been around for a long time. How many iterations of Church 21? Actually, we were Initiative 22 before. It's a name, who cares? You know, like, there's so many things that we're willing to change as a church because those, don't think, those things don't matter one day we're not going to get up on some stage in the new creation waving the church 21 flag like, oh, we made it. Like, we're going to be waving the Jesus flag. He's all we're going to care about. And like, what do we used to call ourselves? Oh, yeah, our local church was church 21. Ah, great. We met at Lenox, right? Great, wonderful, all these things. But we're about him. And we, we often think that the church is a really good side thing for our life. Like, we, we have this relationship with God, and the church comes alongside and complements my relationship. But that's just not it. That's just not it. Um, you know, personality tests and profiles, uh, some of you love them, and some of you can't stand them. And if you're like me, I just can't figure them out. Like, I read all this stuff, and then I just forget it. It's like, let's just get along. I don't know how, you know, like, ENJX, I don't know. Who, who even knows what they are? Um, but we do that so that we figure out who I am on my own. And we think that if we figure out that who I am on my own, my Enneagram is an eight, right? If you're like, oh, that tells me a lot. Or if it doesn't, I still don't know. My wife, it helps her, so that's good. Um, but it's like I figure out myself, then I'm ready to go to people. But that's not it. Actually, this concept of unity is that unity is where we find our true selves. Being in unity with one another is where we find our true selves because what is most useful to the whole comes out. 
We're not looking at our little personality thing and I'm like, hey, who are all the people that I can get that will compliment me? It's I go into the people and I say, how do I compliment you? How do I submit to you and how do you submit to me? How do I receive from you? How do you receive from me? And as the church, John, um, the book of John, chapter 3, verse 30, John the baptizer actually says, I must decrease, but he must increase. And that's the essence of unity. That we decrease. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. And he didn't purchase a neat little individual relationship with each one of us, though that's true. He purchased us as a people to be united together. So how do we maintain unity? How do we maintain unity? Because this is actually what the Spirit's committed to. Some of you are are saying, I want more of the Spirit of God. Well, he's going to lead you to unity. If you want more of the Spirit of God, get ready for more people. All you introverts are like, no, but the Spirit can help you overcome that, right? There is no Spirit-led introvert, Spirit-led extrovert. All those things go out. They're gone. How do we maintain this unity? Well, let's look at verse 2. With all humility. Now, I'm not going to say, hey, go be more humble, because if you try and go be more humble, what's going to happen? You're probably going to be more proud. We're not trying to get humility. We're trying to get more of Christ. And to get more of Christ, we want more of the Spirit who's going to transform us to be that way. So we root ourselves in Him. Humility isn't, you know, if someone says to you, hey, you you know, Shayla, you did a great job leading. You're like, no, 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 I didn't. It was really bad. It was horrible. It's like, that's not humility. Humility is a proper assessment of who you really are which means that you, you know your faults and you know the way that you've been gifted. And humility in and of itself is remembering that at one point you were dead and now you're alive. And that wasn't because you were really good at waking up from death. I've never met any, what's your spiritual gift? Waking up from death. Neat, I'm Dwight, I don't know what to do with you. That's just not, that's not how, it, how it works. But you were once dead and now you're alive and you're gifted by God, not for yourself, but for a people, for a church, that you are gifted to benefit this church. If you're a part of this local church, this is where your gifts get to get used. Are you known? Do people know who you are and what you're going through? Do people know your gifts and, and how to use them? You have to be involved. Humility, gentleness, Gentleness. I wish, um, you know, when you go to post things on social media uh, or if you go to sign into something and the question is like, are you a robot? There's no like answer for yes, <laughs> ever. I just want to answer yes to some things. But it's like, no, I'm not. And then it's like, well, tell me the mountains. Show like, click the stop signs or the mountains or whatever. And I wish there was that for um, social media, that when you went to post something, it's like, are you gentle? Find the mountains. You know, like, whatever. But are you gentle? We're not a gentle society, and my fear is that as a church, we feel like we need to fight for our rights and go all beastie boys. I'm just thinking, you got to fight for your right to party. If you don't know that song, that's fine. But as a church, we sometimes feel like we need to fight, to fight the man, Jack Black style in School of Rock. Like, who's the man? I don't know who the man is, but we got to fight. And that's just not it. 
Jesus, when he came, if anyone could have fought the man, Jesus could have done it and should have done it, but he didn't. He was gentle and lowly. Jesus actually said, uh, or it was said of Jesus, that he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, so he emptied himself and became like a slave to everyone. Gentleness. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to work into us as a church, where we're self-controlled and tempered in spirit. And finally, how do we maintain the unity, humility, gentleness, and then patience and putting up with one another? The, the translators wrote really nice and fancy, um, bearing with one another. But it really means putting up with one another. That if you're part of the church, it means that you're going to put up with other people. Putting up with people means that there are people that you don't necessarily like or you don't like what they're doing. And for unity to be maintained, it means that we not only put up with one another and say, like, Evan, I'm just putting up with you, man, because I, I see in the Bible I have to. It's that we put up with one another in what? In love. In love. That we get to tend the garden of the church with love. Keeping everything in the garden united. I, I've never planted a garden. I would love to one day. I'm just very fearful of squirrels destroying that thing. And then my anger and non-gentleness coming out and the poison that I would... Anyway, it would just wouldn't go well. But when you plant a garden, you're not like, I'm going to put cucumbers on this side and tomatoes on this side, and we're going to see who wins. Right? That's not what you do. You want for the whole garden to flourish. And as we tend the garden of the church, we do so with love. And let me tell you what that looks like. 1 Corinthians 13 this is a type of love that should characterize the church if the Spirit is leading us. Love is patient and kind. This implies that there are people that you're going to want to be impatient and unkind with in the church. Love doesn't envy or boast. It means that we're going to want to envy and boast of people and over people in the church. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And here, here's the doozy. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. This means that we can look at the most hopeless person in the church and say, there's so much hope for you in Christ. That I will endure all things, I will believe all things, I will, I will put up with you in love because of who I believe in. This is the church. If you have these really like idealized pictures of what the church is going to be like, we're all going to get together and share stuff. You read the book of Acts and people say, yeah, like the book of Acts, chapter two, chapter four, they were sharing everything. They had everything in common. Why can't we do that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, we can do that. But then there's going to come Acts chapter five, which is two people that lied to the community about what they were bringing, and then God brought them death. You want to bring death in? Like, no. Let's, let's be the Acts 6 church. What happened there? You know, what took place there? But the Spirit desires and works for unity. The Spirit desires, desires and works for unity. And love and unity draw people to the church. This is a side note. The love and unity within the church draws people to the church because she looks so much like what they actually want. We all long for a community that we can truly be loved where we can truly be cared for, we can truly have people that are going to even put up with us. 
because they love us, right? It's different to just put up with someone than to put up with someone because you love them. And the Spirit wants to make our church look more like Jesus. Okay, so last part of this is that Jesus not only gifts his church for unity through the Spirit, but he gifts the church for maturity. And I'm going to be very quick about this. Ephesians 4, verse 7. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then I'm going to skip over a few verses, not because I don't want to deal with them, but because we don't have time. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, verse 11, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So gifts are given. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given gifts, probably multiple gifts. And they're not just for you, so you can look at yourself in the mirror and be like, wow, what an amazing Christian I am. It's so that you contribute to the body, to the church. And gifts are given, these gifts are given, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, yes, I am a pastor, uh, gifting-wise, uh, apostolic gifting probably is, is where I, I, I land, but it's not so I can look in the mirror and say, oh, you're so gifted at this. It's so that I can use those gifts for the rest of the church, and you've been given gifts for the rest of the church so that we can equip the saints for the work of ministry. Sometimes we like the idea of a professionalized church where it's like, oh, there's a pastor and if I have any questions or someone else has questions, I can bring them to the pastor. But what this text is saying is that those people are given to the church so they can equip you to go to that person. That it's the whole church working together, that we're equipping the saints to do the work of ministry, which means that you're all in full-time ministry. Church 21 pays the, the, the salary for some of us Others of us uh, are dentists, and others of us, uh, mom and dad, still pay our, because we're student vocation or whatever. Um, but ultimately, Jesus pays for us. Jesus is paying for us to be in full-time ministry. And if you're a, a follower of Jesus and you've been equipped, then you equip other people. How many of you here know how to read the Bible? I know there's more of you. You're just like, I don't know. What's he going to ask of me, Right? So probably almost everyone in this room knows how to read Scripture properly. There's a proper way to do it. You're, if you can do that, you're equipped now to go and equip other people how to do that. Don't bring them to me. Hey, Pastor so-and-so, my friend wants to learn how to read the Bible. I'm like, do you know how to read the Bible? Yes, do it. I have other things to do. It's not trying to get out of doing things, but there are other, other things to be equipping people in. You're already equipped in this. Go ahead and do it. It's not for the pros. And what happens when, when equipped saints equip? What happens when the church is equipping the church? Three things happen. First thing is we're no longer like immature and ignorant kids. Now, that's not a diss to kids. I love kids. I have four of them. Um, but there's, there's a way to live childlike and there's a way to live childish. I want for my kids to remain childlike in so many different ways, but I want to remove the childish things in them. The tantrums and the screaming and the, all the other things that I won't throw them under the bus uh, for at this point. But we don't want to stay this way. And when the equipped church is equipping the church, it's not up to one person to be looking around to make sure everyone's good. It's that we're all doing this together that we're all looking out for the good of the body together. We submit to and receive from one another because we're constantly focusing our team, our people on Jesus. 
The second thing that happens when equipped saints equipped is we confess and speak the truth in love. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who's ahead into Christ. How many of you have a truth teller in your life? I'm just a truth teller. I see that hand. It's hard. Truth tellers are are hard to have around because they just kind of tell you exactly what they think all the time and they blame it on the fact that they're a truth teller. And they, they have very little sensitivity usually. So there's that side. The other side are peacekeepers who never say anything. They're like, if I just don't say anything, this problem's magically going to go away. It's like when you put food under the rug, and it's like, why do we have mice in our house all of a sudden? It's like, I don't know, Dad. No idea. It's like, what's this big chocolate bar thing? It's like, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, my kids actually didn't do that. That was a different illustration, okay? But, but as a church, we confess and we speak the truth in love. That means truth tellers and peacekeepers are both wrong. We need spirit-led surgeons. We need the church to be full of spirit-led surgeons. So if I, if I was a, um, if I was a surgeon, what I wouldn't do is say, oh, you have a problem with your heart? Come here. I've got an ax and a chainsaw in my car. This, we'll get this done right away. <sighs> That's traumatic, right? Um, if I'm a surgeon and I'm a good surgeon, I'm going to send you in for tests. I'm going to want to know like allergies, family history. There's going to be a process that goes into this before I ever do a surgery on your heart. So I want to make sure that I'm doing precisely what needs to be done with minimal damage. And within the church, that's the same thing. The Spirit wants to lead us to ask good questions, to find out what's really going on before we just just truth tell. And if we love one another, we're going to draw close to one another. We're going to ask good questions before we become the morality police. And that's what happens in so many churches, and that just sucks when you feel like there's morality police running around waiting to tell you exactly what's wrong instead of asking you, hey, what's going on? Has anyone ever talked to you about this? Um, what? What's your, what's your history growing up? What was it like for you when you experienced these things? And let me lead you to Jesus. That's what speaking the truth in love is. It's like being a good spirit-led surgeon. And the last thing that happens um, when equipped saints equip is that, is that the gifts are functioning as they should be functioning. In verse 16, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When, when we're using our gifts and looking at the church, not just for what I can get from it, but how do I help bring unity, maintain unity, and bring maturity? The church grows. The church grows. And I often, you know, I pray, oh, Lord, would you please grow your church? But maybe the church has to grow inside of it. It's caring for one another before the church can grow in size. Because, the, again, the Lord plays the long game. And he's not, he's not impressed by size and numbers. He wants to change us to be like him. So here's, here's what I want to call us to, is that you're needed. You're needed within the local church. Don't be a periphery. Don't live on the margins of the local church. You're needed. But you also need the local church. That there are gifts within the local church that if you're not fully a part of it, you're, you're missing out on. And, and the body is not actually working properly. And the body is not growing because it can't build itself up in love. And I would say you need face-to-face people 
right? I, I, know, I know we just went through COVID and like we went through all that like online stuff and I think there'll always be a hybrid version, especially with all the sickness happening uh, now, but, but we, need, we need face-to-face time with people. We need like real interaction with people. Zoom is, is a great gift, but it's not, it's not ultimately what we need. So let me, let me end with this. Uh, the church is often messy. Church 21 does not have everything figured out. Confession time. Church is messy. And we can ask the question, oh, when is Jesus finally going to bail? When is Jesus going to say, all right, I've had enough of, of the church. I'm just so tired of her, so tired of the immaturity and the, the ignorant childishness, and I'm so tired of the scandals, and I'm just, I'm just so fed up with it. When's he going to say that? Never. Listen to verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus is going to stay committed to his body, to his bride, to the people of God until he's done. He's not going anywhere. Sometimes we'll read about some scandal in the church, and I'm like, oh, no, now that's going to be the subject of conversation with my neighbors. Well, pastor so-and-so did this, and so all pastors, blah, 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 right? And you get embarrassed. I get embarrassed about it. I'm like, oh, dang it. And then I remember that could be me, right, if not for the grace of God. I'm like, oh, yeah, I go through this, this whole cycle. And then I, I remember that Jesus is actually still in charge. Jesus knew that was going to happen. Jesus isn't surprised by that. He has a plan. He's still in his throne and that he's working and he's committed to that pastor who fell and he's committed to these childish people and he's committed to these ignorant because he's not embarrassed to call them his people. If you read through scripture, it's kind of embarrassing. You get embarrassed for God. Like these are your people. He's like, those are my people that I love a lot. Those are my people that I sent my son to die for. Those are my people. And I maintain unity, and I'm calling you into that, and I want to call you into maturity to look just like me. So the challenge, do you, do you want the Spirit like this? Oftentimes we say, do you want the Spirit? Do you want his gifts? Do you want blah, blah, blah? You know, like we go on that. But do you want the Spirit that's going to lead you into unity with real busted up people? Because that's what he's going to gift for. That's what he's going to give power and strength to you for. We don't always like the plans that God has, but this is, this is the best one, that he would create a people united. Do you want to take hold of the love that God has procured for you? Two final things. I'm really good at making you think I'm wrapping up. Um, but unity. Unity. Unity, if you're not living in unity with the local church, would today be the day that you say, Spirit of God, I want to deny myself and I want to fully participate in what you're doing in this local church. Would you help me see how? And we might not even have the avenue created for how yet. And maybe God has gifted you in such a way that you can bring that how to us. And then maturity. For some of you, you you haven't taken responsibility for yourself yet. You haven't owned the reality that you are loved by God. You haven't owned the, the reality that you are part of the people of God. 
today would you take responsibility of that, but would you not stop there? Would you also take responsibility for other people in the church? What that looks like practically is um, I have four friends. We, we all we run together. We, we don't really run all that much all together, but we all run. Um, we live in different places around the Montreal area. But all the time, we're taking responsibility for one another, asking people good questions, asking how, how they're doing, going through things, taking responsibility for their spiritual life, that I'm not letting these guys just float on their own. They're my friends. And so I'm going to take responsibility for them, and I'm going to say, why aren't you there? Why are you going through this? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you struggling with this thing? Like, I'm, I'm committed in full responsibility to them. Would you do the same thing? Find one or two other people within the church and take responsibility for them and grow in maturity together. That's, that's my timer right there that I need to really wrap up. Um, so let me ask this, and then I'm, I'm really done putting it away. How, how, can I, how, can we, how can we tap into that gas line of the Spirit? Do you even want that? Will you stop living off of your, the, the spiritual highs like a summer camp or like a sermon or like a, you know, we, we all get together for a worship night or something. You're like, man, that was so awesome. You leave and the next day, like you've completely forgotten everything that, that you had committed to in that moment. That the spirit doesn't want to just excite you for, for a hot minute. He wants you to plug into all of the, the reality and the power and the strength of who he is. And so I'm going to pray that, that, that the Spirit would speak to you about whatever he wants to speak, and that tomorrow morning you would wake up uh, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and to, to participate in the maturing of the church. Because it's no accident that you're here and you're with us. So let me pray, and then we'll respond. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're, you're for us. Uh, we, there are some days we don't even know how to be for ourselves. Um, and I don't want for people to feel like this is a heavy weight being put on them. It's actually freeing. We can't make fire on our own. Um, and, and you're offering uh, continual fuel. And you're offering transformation. You're offering that you're going to make us like Jesus. So we, we want that. I want that. Would you help us to be eager to maintain the unity that you procured for us? It's not something we have to develop a program for. It's something you've already done. Would you help us to take responsibility for our own lives? Maybe someone's here doesn't yet know you, and today they would say, Jesus, I want in on you. I believe that you lived and you died and that you're alive for me, and I need your forgiveness, and that you would bring them into the kingdom of God today. That would be amazing. There are those who are here who haven't taken responsibility for their own spiritual life today. Would that be something that you, that you convince them of? And I pray that, that there would be people that take responsibility for, for other people. And that, people that, that we wouldn't just wait for people to come to us, but rather that we would go to them and say, hey, could we build this type of relationship where we take responsibility for one another? Help your church to grow. Help your church to grow in maturity. And I pray that, that revival would come upon our hearts, that the affections of our hearts would be warmed and stirred for Christ Jesus. That we, would, that we would want him more than anything else in this world and that we would have lives that are in line with that. So we love you. We thank you that you are here with us. Amen.